Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. My guess is most of us could hardly contemplate facing up to the potentially life-shattering challenges that my next guest has faced with his wife over these past few years. The interesting thing is that they came in the wake of wave after wave of successes in his life. More than that, those successes were happening in the name of God. With his wife, Pastor Benny Perez felt called by God to set up a new church, the Church of South Las Vegas, USA, home to what appears to us to be all that wealth, glamour, entertainment and weddings conducted by Elvis Presley lookalikes. The church began with 27 people. Today, it numbers 3,500 plus. Pastor Benny is quick to say that he's not about numbers, but his was a ministry truly blessed by God and for the great benefit of lots of people in Las Vegas. Then, Easter 2010 changed everything. Pastor Benny Perez, welcome to Open House. It's glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks very much for joining us. Benny, can I take you back to that original call that you felt by God to set up your church? Take us through that story of how and why that happened. Well, initially, we moved to Las Vegas because uh, I was uh, traveling all over America and around the world. Las Vegas is a great place to travel from. So in 2001, we moved there thinking that God was moving us there for travel, and it was easier for us. Little did we know after living there for a year, we felt God spoke to our hearts that we were doing all over the world. We were to do it there in Las Vegas, and so we put in our hearts to literally start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and so that's what we did. There was quite a revival going on in that kind of northwestern sector of the United States at that time. Yeah, I actually had come out of the Seattle area where we had a great revival that was reported on by the media, not not just Christian, but even Secular Time magazine, other magazines, uh, you know, were reporting on what God was doing. And out of that, I traveled and uh, came to Vegas and... Um, and so we started in our home with 27 people. Didn't know 25 of them, so only know two people. So you know you have to have some faith to allow 25 strangers to come yes. into your house. And and uh, But we just felt like it was God, and, and it was just amazing. So we, we started right there in our house. So how and why do you believe it experienced such growth? Because it's been quite a story. Not that numbers are everything. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you know, going from twenty-seven to you know three thousand plus people—that's pretty amazing. And um, you know, I I don't know why it's grown like that. I think it's it's the grace of God. It's it's the timing of God. And uh, you know, if people could see me, uh, they would say you're the one that God's using. <laughs> and I just say, and I point to the scripture: God uses the base things, the things that people would not normally choose to confound the wise. So it's been really, really an awesome move of God that's taking place. Yes. Can I ask you this question, though? How did you view the people of Las Vegas, and how might that have differed from other churches in that area, that there were so many people who flocked to the Church of South Las Vegas? Yeah. I, you know what? I view people, you know, whether in Las Vegas or anywhere, uh, I just think that people have problems. People have Sin. People need God, and and I like Las Vegas because the people there are not religious. So in America, they have the Bible Belt, yes. and everybody goes to church, and everybody thinks they know God. Well, Vegas, we're known as Sin City, yep. and so the people knew or know that. Listen, uh, I'm not religious at all, but if you're telling me this Jesus 
loves me and wants me and can do something in my life, man, that's the kind of Jesus I want. So we didn't preach a judgmental Jesus. We preached the Jesus of the Bible, which he was a friend of sinners. And so uh, you just start preaching that, and they start coming, and the only one that gets upset are the Pharisees. And so... uh, Do you mean other church people? (laughs) Well, if you want to... Yeah, I don't want to (laughs) particularly label it that. I think it's religious people, which obviously can be in church. I think our biggest challenge even in our church have, hasn't been the people that have gotten saved. It's been the people that have been saved. And now they forget the grace of God that touched them. And they're like, well, how can God, you know, uh, reach these people? And, and are you going to tell them to stop taking their clothes off because they're strippers? Are you going to tell them to stop doing this, stop doing that? And I tell, simply tell people this. Jesus saves them. And here's what the gospel is for me. The gospel is good news, which means come as you are. But the power of the gospel says you won't stay as you are. And there's a process in that. Yes. And so I think we allow people to process, and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings change, and Jesus is making a difference. It's a process for all of us, actually, over our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think some people want to speed up the process for others, though, because they see this innate sin, and yet we have to be careful that God is working, as you have said, in all of us for the rest of our lives. So it appears your distinctiveness is a sense of acceptance friend of sinners rather than judgment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, And we have preached that. We have preached, come as you are. Come as you are. You know, it's Jesus, you know, with the woman at the well. He knew that she had had five husbands. She knew that he was, she was shacked up with the sixth. But now watch this. She's meeting the seventh man, the seventh man, the man of perfection, didn't condemn her, told her everything. And she goes and tells the whole city, come and hear this man who told me everything about my life. Somebody who's under condemnation does not go and tell everybody in the city. Somebody has experienced and encountered Christ will go and start telling the story. And the Bible says they all came out to Jesus. I think Jesus, if we preach Jesus, the Jesus style, it attracts people. So Las Vegas, Sin City, wealth, glamour, entertainment, all the glitz. What's it really like? You know what? It is all that. I mean, you're talking about people. People come from all over the world to experience what they, what they can't experience anyplace else in Las Vegas. So it is that. And yet, there's two two million plus people that live there. It's like any other city, raising families, you know, doing life. And it's kind of a dichotomy because you have this this little little place called the Strip in Las Vegas, and then you have two million people living around it. So it's almost like two worlds in one city. There's a price to pay for lots of people in Las Vegas with all that glitz and glamour. Yeah, you know, the, the moniker is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but that's not true. What happens in Vegas goes home with you. And unfortunately, people come and they buy into that mindset that it's okay, but uh, sin is devastating. It will go home with you. And so there's a lot of stories of people just being broken and, and just getting sucked into the system, and yet... God's grace is there to pull them out, whether they live in the city or if they come, I pray wherever they go back home that God reaches them. So here you are powering on, working for God. Certainly appears you're being richly blessed by him. And then, as I said, Easter 2010 came along. And it was initially a very happy time for you and your wife, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You know, my wife was four months pregnant and we're getting ready to have uh, uh, nine worship services to reach 9,000 people believing God that a thousand people are going to give their hearts to Christ and trust Christ with their lives. And uh, and then uh, it was a simple uh, ultrasound with the pregnancy with my wife. And I wasn't even going to go. And I ended up going. And little did I know we would... 
begin to see devastation that would last the next two years of our lives. Tell us what happened. Well, we went into uh, the uh, the uh, ultrasound with the doctor. We had previously had a miscarriage, and so uh, my wife was a little little bit you know concerned, but she was doing great after four months. And um, she went in, and there on the uh, screen, the heartbeat was great. We saw the baby in in the womb, 170 beats a minute, and everything was great. And but the baby wasn't moving because they wanted to measure the baby. Very simply, you know they. Had her walk around, had her do things. The baby still wasn't moving. They put her back on the uh, ultrasound, the sonogram. And now the heartbeat was down to 150. Then the heartbeat went down to 130. Then the heartbeat went down to 100. The technician went out and got the doctor. doctor came in and said, well, it seems like there might be some challenges here. And uh, it went down to 70. And I'm saying something is not right here. And the doctor was concerned. And literally before her eyes, uh, it was devastating. It went from 50 to 30, to 20, and then it flatlined on us. In 30 years, um, I can understand. In 30 years, the doctor said they had never seen a baby flatline on the screen. Now people say, oh, well, it was just a miscarriage. You never held the baby. But we held the baby in our heart. And it was devastating. Here we are the Wednesday before Good Friday. I have to preach nine times. My wife, Nan, uh, is devastated. Quick story, I'm in denial, so we just pack up. We go back to the house. I literally prayed, didn't sleep that night, went back the next morning because I wanted another ultrasound because I'm thinking it's Resurrection Sunday and maybe God, come on, God's going to do a miracle and they did it first thing in the morning. No blood flow, verified the baby was dead. In fact, the doctor said the baby's expired. He said, no, 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 the baby's not expired. No, 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 food expires. The baby, no, 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 the baby, I understand, is dead. So they had to ex- schedule an emergency um, a surgery uh, that ladies would know what that is to remove the baby on Friday. This is Good Friday morning. My wife goes in uh, into this surgery. It goes longer than 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 what's usual. I finally said, what's going on? My wife had complications on the table. The doctor actually used uh, the blood work from a year before instead of the recent blood work, which means that now they didn't do the right job with regards to her being uh, anesthesia. Uh, Obviously, they, they corrected that in the operating room. She comes out. They release her. I get her home. And that's when we literally almost lose my wife. And what have you and your wife been saying to each other over these couple of days? Well, you know what? It, it was just, you didn't say much. We just looked at each other. I, you know, when, when, and my heartache isn't greater than anybody else's heartache. Let me just say that. But our heartache was great to us. Oh, yes. And, and anytime you go through heartache, sometimes you can't say anything. Sometimes you don't talk. It's just that look that you give each other that communicates pain and communicates the why question. And uh, literally when we got home after she had that operation on that Good Friday, uh, she collapsed in my garage and uh, I called emergency number and my wife's bleeding out right there in my garage. And the the, uh, operator said, keep her awake. You can't let her go unconscious. So here I'm praying, waiting for the ambulance to come. And it was the longest three minutes of my life. They came and uh, told them what happened. 
And her blood pressure was so low, they couldn't get anything in her. They couldn't get an IV. They couldn't. They had to rush her to the hospital. And by the grace of God, there was the right person in emergency who was able now to do a procedure on my wife that actually stabilized her, saved her life. And so, you know what? I just thank God for his grace. I thank God that God's watching over us. And even we don't have faith sometimes, God still has his hand on us. As a result of that, she got admitted to the hospital. I didn't want to go and preach. And my wife said, you know what, Benny? You need to go preach. I can't imagine what that's like. It was facing up to that. Well, it was it was devastating. It was it was like I don't want to leave my wife in the hospital. And my wife said, "No, Benny, you need to go preach. Don't let this stop us. Don't let this stop what God wants to do." So I got home at four o'clock in the afternoon, showered, got to the church, sat on my desk at six o'clock, and I said, "Lord, I know it's always been you, but it's got to be you now." And I started that weekend, and I preached. I preached actually ten times that weekend. What did you say to them after all of this? Well, I preached the message I had prepared, obviously, before. But let me tell you what happened to me. That Good Friday, as a pastor, I preached the message differently. Because on Good Friday, the father lost his son. And on that Good Friday, I lost my daughter. And I felt the heart of a father losing a child. And I realized the great price that Jesus paid and the Father paid for you and for me. And I think I preached the gospel message more clearly and from a heart of a father than I ever had in my life. And a result of that, over 10 worship services, we had over a 1,000 people respond to trust Jesus with their life on that Easter weekend, or as we say, Resurrection Weekend in Las Vegas. So you know what? And nobody knew. The church didn't know. None of my staff knew. Only two of my executive pastors knew because we didn't want anybody to know because we didn't want to distract from the weekend. And so they found out afterwards. The church found out. Everybody found out on that Monday and Tuesday the following weekend. And they were like, Pastor, I don't even know how you preached. And I said, the grace of God. Must be. The grace of God. Yeah. And as time goes on, understandably, you keep crying out to God, why, why, why? Had you had any idea of what the answer to that might be? Uh, and you know, no, I'm, and I, in my theological training, in my Bible colleges, in my studies, I know they're said you're never, never supposed to ask why. And I understand the sovereignty of God, but in my hu- humanness, in my humanity, I think everybody down deeps in the depths of their hearts at times cries out why. Of course. And so, you know, I was just asking why. And um, at the end of the day, uh, Lee, at the end of the day, it wasn't so much about the why. And, and God said, you know, son, it's not about the why but it's about the who. And so when I was asking the why question, God was rejecting me to the who, and that who was Jesus. And sometimes God's not going to answer your question, but he gives you something better. He gives you a person. And the Bible says that he draws nigh to them of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The Bible says that with the comfort that God has comforted you, Corinthians, comfort others. He didn't say with the answers that he's given you, give those answers, but with the comfort. And that comfort comes from a person, the person of Jesus. So an unexpected answer, but still satisfying and comforting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, why why did we lose that baby? You know, why did we suffer all the things? That was just the first of a multiplicity of challenges and storms. And yet every time, just like the disciples in the middle 
of the boat in the middle of the storm. Why does this storm happen? We don't know why the storm happened, but the who showed up, and his name was Jesus. It's important to say this, that Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, it's not just a platitude or a cute religious kind of answer, is it? No, it, it isn't. I mean... Christianity is about a relationship. This is this is a person. This is not principles. This is not just a good moral system. Theology. This is, this is not just theology. I don't fall in love with theology. I fall in love and I receive the love of a person. Because I tell our church this, listen, Jesus did not come to give you just a new moral system, a new moral code code of of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Christianity isn't about that. Jesus says it is done. You know, the law says do, do, do. Christianity, under the grace of God, says it is done, done, done. And obedience comes out of encountering this incredible Christ that now has changed you from the inside out. And so, man, it's the personhood of God. Now, what about the principles of God? Absolutely, there are principles there, but you can't, you can't fall in love with the principle. You can't fall in love with with stone. You fall in love with the person and receive the love for the person. It it wasn't me loving God. Come on. The Bible says you didn't love God first. He loved you and sent his son as a Tony sacrifice for your sin. The story of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of Acts when he shipwrecked meant a great deal to you at this time. Why was that? Well, because you see uh, that Paul is actually now being given an assignment by God that he's going to go to Rome. We know that God has destined him to go to Rome. Okay, so it makes it clear. However, when God says, this is your destination, and Paul is at the beginning, God never told him what's going to happen in between. I think it's the in-between season that, that's difficult for me and for others. And so uh, seeing that, I'm going, wow. And I begin to see how the Apostle Paul now gets in a ship. There's a storm. Now the, the ship starts breaking apart. And you think it's going to get better, but it doesn't. He has to jump overboard. He goes out in Malta. You think it's going to get better, but it's cold and rainy. And he gets bit. I mean, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But we do know that God said he was going to get through it because he had to go to Rome. So we do know that. So I took great comfort in that because I begin to see some parallels and begin to see, okay, I understand this. You know what? Life is not free of storms, but there's a God of the storm. Okay, that if God has declared an end, it shall happen, even though we're going to have to go through some trials and tribulations. And so I begin to realize, wow. And out of this story, God began to speak to me about different aspects, about what we were going through. As a result of that, it really helped us and helped our church and helped me personally. And many others, I'm sure. So on the back of all of this, you've written powerfully Yet interestingly, hopefully, of the whole experience and the lessons you and your wife learned in this book, More, Discovering the God of More When Life Gives You Less. How and when did you start to discover that perhaps surprising reality of your life that more can come out of less? Yeah, and that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That uh, how can more come out of less? But during our times of trial and tribulation and, and storms from the miscarriage, to my father-in-law passing away and going on to be with Jesus, to uh, fighting uh, a bank and fighting the recession. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And me crying out, and I'm realizing that it is true that God is more, that God is the strength of our life when we are weak. Paul says it this way, when you are weak, when you're at less, God is more. When you are weak, then you are strong. And I came to the end of myself, 
and I realized there was the beginning of a great God of more. So more for us was he was giving us more strength, more comfort, more grace. And in that, I realized God is the one that was bringing us through. And my faith wasn't empowered by me, but it was being powered by him. And so we tell the story of, of the Apostle Paul and how he discovered the God of more. And so no matter from a shipwreck to a storm to a snake bite, and for us, no matter what the miscarriages and the recession and the financial crisis with people in our church and us having to battle bankruptcy uh, and all the other stuff that we went through, that seemingly when we were losing everything around us, we were gaining so much more. And that was a greater uh, perception and sense and a grander view of how big Jesus really is. It may take some time for you to get that view or to know the reality of that. Absolutely. You might have to wait and trust. Absolutely. And and I got from the place of trying to trusting. And my trust went so high with God because in the midst of it, it wasn't changing right away. We're talking Where else about, can you turn? Yeah, we're talking about over two years. Yeah. Okay, this is not a quick fix. I just prayed the prayer, boom, it's done. Uh, trust, trust, trust in the Lord. He didn't say try in the Lord. He said trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will, he will, he will process, make yes. your paths straight. Often said that you have to, you know, if you want to be God's person, uh, many times you have to go through God's process. Benny, of all the, I'm sure, interesting characters you have in your church in a city like Las Vegas, is there one particular story that you can think of which demonstrates the reality, the flesh and bones reality of that, of God bringing more out of less? Yeah, I could tell you, and I tell a couple stories in our book uh, in regards to people. Uh, one person uh, is a guy named Eddie Tomes. Eddie Tomes is a fit man in his uh, mid-30s. Works out all the time, and he had to go and get a uh, physical for life insurance. No problem. Works out four or five times a week. If you looked at him, he's he's a, a strapping man. I don't know if that makes sense, but buffed. He's, he's a buff man. Yes. Yeah, he's a buff man. In America, we'd say ripped man, yeah, that's right? right? We know that. Too. And uh, so he went, and they found something wrong, and he had to come back for more tests. And little did he know that after a bunch of tests to his heart. And x-rays and everything, they had bad news for him. They said, uh, Eddie, uh, we have bad news for you. Uh, you need to bring your wife in. And so they sat, sat him down with his wife and said that even though he was in his mid-30s, he had the heart of an 80-year-old. They said, there's nothing we can do for you. Imagine the devastation. And they said, you need to get your house in order, get your will prepared. Imagine you hearing that yes. in mid-30s with children. And I remember him coming to church devastated and um, asking the question, why, why me? I, what? I, you know, and all that. And um, having to walk through that process, it was a number of weeks and uh, he was battling a lot of things, as you can imagine. Yes. And just one uh, church service, we, he said, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me. So we did what the Bible says, laid hands on him, had our church pray. And uh, he said, I'm going back in another week. And, uh, you know, they're going to find out uh, exactly how fast this is progressing. And even if they can get me in a heart transplant list, which would take too long. Long story short, he goes in uh, about a week after our prayer and just trusting God. There's the word, trusting God. And uh, so they go and they give him all the tests again, take x-rays again. And he's getting dressed and getting ready to leave. And they said, uh, 
Mr. Tomes, you need to you need to come back. There's there's been a problem. And he said, What's the problem? He says, I, I can't. He says, Listen, if it's worse, just tell me now. Oh, no. You know, because I already know it's wor- it's been worse. And they go, No. And he said, This is a very unusual, but we have to do a procedure again. He said, Okay. Took the procedure. You need to wait for about an hour. They waited for about an hour. They came back with the radiologist. And radiologist said, Mr. Tomes, here's your heart that we took originally. You can see and point it out. He says, this is why your heart is that of an 80-year-old. He said, Mr. Tomes, we don't understand. And they put the other x-ray up. We didn't believe it was this, it was right, so we took another x-ray. Mr. Tomes, as you can see, this heart and this heart is not the same. And what was even more miraculous was, is that he says, look, and there was, my friend, the shadow of a man's handprint on his heart. And the doctor said, this is impossible. We don't understand how that could be a shadow. This is what you would call miraculous for even that shadow be there. My friend said, I know what, what hand that is. And that's the hand of Jesus verified that this man got healed in the midst of his storm. How do you account for that? Jesus. I, I, I believe that God's a healer. I believe that we can believe God for healing. And for Eddie, it was about a three-week process. For others, it may be three months. For others, it could be three years. Or as my father-in-law said, no matter what, we win. Yes, And so right. my father-in-law... It's a good his, point to make. His healing took place when he went into glory yeah. and received that that glorified body, and he's with Jesus. So for us, but we still pray in faith. We still believe. And for Eddie, it was a great, great turnaround. And he's preaching the God of more. And it may not happen in three weeks, but he trusts that God will still do a work, not only in his life, but in people's lives. Pastor Benny Perez, it's been a great privilege meeting you and hearing your story. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. Thank you. Thank you. Benny's the author of More, Discovering the God of More When Life Gives You Less. And we'll put the details up on our Open House community Facebook page. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.